Check out the menu. It's the set lunch with me, Reza Pasha. Listening to the set lunch with me, Razif Hashim, and right now we are serving the main course. That's right. We usually get an entrepreneur to give the insights on whatever it is that they're doing, hustling, basically. <laughs> and um, today we have uh, someone from the F&B industry, but more, more specifically, the B industry, because I don't think you've got any Fs in your place, do you, Natalie? We have Fs, but they're from a different place. Ah. So we <laughs> I love it. Okay, so today we have Natalie Kadis. She is the founder of The Balloon, KL. Uh, it's a chilled out hidden bar in the heart of KLCT. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. This is so much fun. You know, I used to like, I've, I've worked with Natalie before on, on a couple of shows before. I think wait, one major show, right? One major show. Yeah, I had a heart attack. That was a crazy night. Um, yes, that was cool. And now ever since she has, you know, left um, radio and gone to Petaling Street to open a drinking <laughs> hole. So tell us what that's like. You make it sound like I've done something completely like scary and different. Tell us what it's like. Okay. Um, well, I stopped radio after doing radio for about 10 years. Uh, I think towards the end of radio, like three to four years in, I was just kind of like, no, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. Uh, so after radio, I spent a year just not doing anything. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, went on holidays, which was impossible to do when I was doing radio. And then uh, a bunch of friends, we just sat around and we were like what to do huh and you're we like let's open a bar yay so from something that was like a stupid idea in a cafe in Amsterdam we decided to open uh, the Berlin KL uh, in Pataling Street so there wasn't actually much thought behind it it was more like this is our idea let's just go and just see what happens right 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 so yeah. did any of you have any um, knowledge in the F&B or the B area um, before nope. that none we, of us we only knew so, how to drink the B so, yeah I know so it's like <laughs> Okay, so I get I get the place and then Bolivotol and then Joal. Something like if you're going to be having it yourself, might as well you sell it as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a fantastic idea. Okay, so what about before this? Let's go back to your childhood maybe. Okay. Were you ever entrepreneurial? I want to say I am purely because I'm sitting here right now. But no, I was never that entrepreneurial. Um, I was more of a creative person. So I was always, I'm, I'm an only child. So I was always left to do my own thing while my mom was having a, a nap in the afternoon. So I was always very, I was more creative than I was trying to find a way to make money out of that creativity. Uh, but I think my business partners and I, uh, each of us have um, our strengths. So uh, whereas I create, uh, I take care of the creative part of it, somebody else does the business part of it. And then we work together and we try to see how we can push the limits of Berlin further and further. So it's a joint effort, but most of the business decisions are uh, one made as a team or made by someone else. Okay. Yeah. Were you ever uh, surrounded by entrepreneurs as you were growing up? Uh, did anyone give you a sense of business or did you admire anyone from a distance um, as to how they were doing stuff? The closest to me, uh, my mom was a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher as well. Uh, my uncle and his wife were entrepreneurs. They owned a hotel in Ipoh and a marble factory. And uh, it would always re revolve around something to do with business. But I don't think I paid much attention to it. So yes, I had like, um, I, had, I had dreams to make money, except I never knew how to do it. But I always knew that I had certain sort of like goals that I wanted to achieve. And I think when I went into radio, it was kind of like, okay, I'll just do this and see how it goes. And then when I stopped radio, I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? Because I constantly want to make some money or do something or be successful or have something to be doing in my life rather than 
sit down and do nothing. So I'm sure. So, I'm we, sure. Yeah. so we worked as a team to, to create this. Is it really that chilled out? I don't have had a couple of havoc nights there, you know. It's supposed to be havoc, but it's supposed to be chilled at the same time. Most of the other bars, they have so many rules, regulations and restrictions. Like, I hated it. I hate when you go into a bar and people look at you and they're like, oh my God, you're not kaya enough to be here. You don't look good enough. I want a place where people can go to and they can wear their slippers, their shorts, they can come drunk, they can come naked. I don't care. Right. You know, so this is a very chilled out bar. We have uh, no minimum spending. We have, uh, you know, we have reservations, obviously, but we don't really care too much about who you are. You just come, you do your thing and then you leave. And it's so secluded that nobody even knows outside what's going on inside. So right. that's what we tried to do. We tried to make a bar that we would all feel at home in. That's right. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Okay. And it's nice because it's, it's, um, it's, actually, it's actually really pretty, you know. Um, uh, I, so from what I understand, you, you do a lot of the creative stuff. I, I want to like go back to your travels a little bit. Um, you did you you must have gotten inspired um a lot when you were you know traveling around what it is that you wanted to do uh, be the change that you want to see in the world when you were seeing the world tell tell us a little bit about your your journey i don't know how the bar would be a thing where it's like be the change you want to see in the world but i did juggle around with some ideas when i was in that one year i wanted to do uh csr campaigns for big companies what i wanted to do was make these CSR campaigns a little bit more uh, interesting and not so hard sell. You know, half the time it's like, oh, here's 50,000 ringgit check to this uh, orphanage and, and that's that. That's your CSR campaign. I wanted to do something bigger, better, but I don't think at that point in time Malaysia was ready for it because I gave all these ideas and they were all like, oh, where's my branding? Or, oh, where's my logo? And I'm like, okay, lah, tak So when we went uh, on our holidays, I think um, it was just inspiring to see maybe just a different way of life. So I traveled Europe. I went back to Berlin, uh, where I was born. Um, and then uh, it just, it was just such an interesting vibe. We went to this place. It was like a, like a monastery and it was actually a bar. And it was like, what is this place? So we thought we'd bring back the same sort of feel. So if you look at Berlin, uh, it doesn't have that same speakeasy or hidden bar or whatever it doesn't look like any other bar here it's actually a very european bar uh, you're not allowed to smoke inside there's a smoking room and there's an alley outside which is very european also yeah. uh, most of it is standing only which we realize malaysians do not like yeah. so we are going to do some renovation right. um, and it's self-service uh, sorry it's bar service so you order at the bar unless you're buying like a bottle or anything you do not get table service okay. which is very european yeah but Malaysians take some time to understand it. No, for sure. And I don't think like it's, it's in, in their culture to buy bottles anyways. Yes, yeah. no. Yeah. But we sell it anyways like, because we're in Malaysia, right? Yeah, so obviously. we're like, okay, we have to do this. So we're trying to kind of educate maybe some people uh, on the European style of partying. Everybody knows London, Paris. Nobody really goes to Berlin. So this is something that we wanted to kind of you know, bring here and make people kind of rasa that sort of like that German feel of which I'm half German. So yeah. I thought it'd be kind of nice for me to bring it here. Ah, no wonder the Berlin is the Deutsch. Yes. A little slice of the Deutschland. Actually, it was, it was, uh, we didn't, we didn't decide on the name. We decided to open the bar first and we we're like, yes, open a bar. And we were like, oh my God, what do we call it? And I was more interested in doing the logo, the website. That That's kind of my thing. I like the the beautiful parts of it. And then um, we were like, hang on a second, we need to figure out where it goes. So um, we looked at 
different places, as you know, like uh, the Hatamas or the Bangsa or Damansara Heights even. And the rent for each of those places was like so crazy that we were so scared. We had never done anything like this before. Uh, all three of us, we just never did anything as big as this. So we were like, let's play it safe. Let's try and find somewhere you know, where we, we, we're kind of still okay. If we can't afford the rent, we can all come up with the rent with our own pocket, you know, from money from our own pocket. So we go to um, uh, kind of like Masjid Jame area and then we start driving around, driving around the area and we're like, okay, we see a two-let sign, we call and then we view the area. We actually checked out uh, maybe three different places before this place and then uh, we decided, okay, I think this is, this is where we're going to make this bar and we're going to actually do it because the rent was affordable. And we kind of felt a little bit safe when we put the deposit. Actually, when we put the deposit, I was like, can we take it back? Like, <laughs> I was so scared. I was like, I actually wanted to go up to the office and take back the thing and be like, no need lot to do. Um, but yeah, uh, when we did it there, we were like, okay, this is the place to do it purely because um, if anything terrible happens, uh, we can still afford to, to pay for everything uh, with our own money instead of paying like something like twenty to twenty five thousand ringgit in rent per month, which yeah. we all cannot afford. Oh uh, yeah, that's crazy. That is nuts. I mean, like some of the real estate prices here are a little bit like what. But if you look at it now, uh, from what I can see, I think Pataling Street and the Chinatown area, I think it's up and coming because there is a Four Seasons Hotel that's coming up. Um, in the year and a half that we've been there, there have been another like six other hidden bars open up. Uh, as much as it is our competition, we're really happy because um, there's they will drive people to come to the area and maybe do like a bar hop or anything like that. So we're really happy. We hope for more more people to open up businesses in Pataling Street. And awesome. we won't be the only ones. That, that's great. That's great. Sounds like a very inviting... Um, it sounds like a very inviting... Um, uh, a proposition because you know um, uh, here's here's listening to the the first movers you know I mean one of the first people who actually went in and and opened a business there so um, so you you've opened the bar and uh, you you got the space now you're opening a bar what were the first few uh, key issues that you found immediately um, we needed to uh, get a contractor and a dude to renovate the entire place it's actually like a empty long uh, shop lot. So uh, basically, all of us had to sit together and think of how do we make this thing hidden? How do we make this thing look cool? How do we make this thing look kind of like, you know, like a little bit like Berlin? So the first thing we did was uh, we hired contractors, put up the drywalls, got the, um, the finishing and everything done. Uh, the next part, which was the hard part, uh, was the stocks, the licensing, the, the, the security, um, the staff, et cetera, et cetera. In the time, in a year and a half, I've been through quite a few staff. Some staff have stolen money from me. Uh, I've never heard from them since then. Uh, but I have one of those live and let live sort of things. So I'm like, okay, la, if you want to do this to me, it's okay. It's your karma for later. Uh, I'll just move on with my life and we'll see how it goes. So Susah ke nak buka bar ni sebenarnya? I think there's a lot of things that you had to go through. Uh, I want to know the nitty gritty hardships. It is, it is really, really tough. To be honest with you, we went in there without knowing a single thing about how to open a bar. From the renovation to the stock to the license to the DBKL premise, license, God knows what they're called. Uh, we just went in there blindly. Like, thankfully, we had, like, some people to help us out. Um, but I think, like, the hardest ones were the effort, uh, sorry, the liquor license. That takes uh, a, an, a lifetime to get. 
and you kind of need like two people inside it and then you need to go and meet the dbkl people and then you need to it's quite a long thing you wait like a year about a year or something like that and then you have to like wait for them to pick your number out of like a box or something i i don't really know uh but thankfully we got our liquor license um the premise license from dbkl is also another one so we spent a lot of time in dbkl um and uh the if you want to know about the underworld aspect of it, uh, I thought it was going to be seriously underworld, but actually it's it's okay. Your security basically doubles up as your underworld. Um, and the people in Pataling Street, as much as you may think that they are a little bit scary, they're all really, really nice. Like I, I never would have known that I never would have thought that the people there would be nice. I expected like them to be running at you with like meat cleavers or like being really angry. Uh, but all like our what neighbors. you see, like what you see in the movies, lah, right? Yeah, if it's like some Chinatown, it's got to be like really dodgy and scary. It yeah. is, it is a little bit scary with the amount of people that are there. But everybody is nice to you. I mean, right. there's a few homeless people or people that are intoxicated, but everybody's kind of nice there. We've never, like, knock on wood, had any problem uh, with with too many people. We've had drunk people show up inside the bar. Uh, um, who don't normally come into the bar, but like right. we have security to bring them out also, so right. it's okay. But drunk means like total intoxication, like. and plus other stuff that you might be taking as well. I think not ah, just drunk okay. only. Okay, okay, yeah, I see, I see. Okay, no, no, but this is really interesting because you know we don't really get to talk about that. These are your customers, you see. Here at Entrepreneurship FM, we like to make sure that we understand the value chain. We're not interested in this just for sensation, uh, for sensation. You know what I mean? The people who, you know, a drunk customer obviously pays more. So there's all these ah, like. But he's not. He's not drunk. He's not drunk and a customer. He's drunk, high, and off the streets. Right, 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 right. Of course. So, okay. so I'm not talking about him. Oh, okay. But I'm talking about you know um, when you have a customer, you know what I mean, and they're drinking and they're they're having a bit of fun. Um, it's usually them who become a bit more generous, and that's where the business generates, isn't that right? I mean, there's a psychology to this, and um, I'd like to know what you know about this, if you can share it with us. It is kind of true, but I think because um, we're all really young, uh, we're all about like thirty or thirty-one, thirty-two. I'm thirty-four this year, uh, and we don't have the heart. To, to be horrible to people. I know some people in business and they're really ruthless and they take advantage of things and we really can't find it in us to take advantage of people. So if we see, and we tell our workers as well, like if somebody has had too much to drink, you offer them water with lemon and you say, just hang on a second, we want you to be okay. Because we worry like if somebody goes back and you know, they get into a car crash or they can't find their way back or they get lost, kidnapped, raped, whatever. We feel terrible. So we want to make sure everybody who comes in is kind of okay too. We've seen some people like slurring and still want another drink, shouting at us and we're still kind of like, have some water first, I'll give you your shot after this. Just wow. drink the water first. Because we don't want it to happen to us. Yeah, so we would yeah. kind of like, okay, let's just try to, you know, get the ball rolling. If we do it to other people, maybe they'll do it back to us. So I, I love don't know. It. I love it. No, Jagakarma is excellent. And um, I must say that, you know, it's really good that you not only get, um, you know, you, you get a safe experience as this whole notion of partying responsibly um, out of Berlin, which is a unique selling proposition because, you know, it's, um, it's a great place. I suppose this was your part, you know, I mean, building yes. the website, putting this up and all that. What, how did you start getting the word out? Um, we started actually, uh, what we wanted to do was we wanted to uh, have a very nice layout and a nice look. Berlin is already very, very uh, 
our Berlin, not Berlin, Berlin, uh, is already, it has this sort of like red sort of vibe. So me being extremely OCD, I, I love everything to be like proper. So if you look at our Instagram, everything is like, it's a nice layout. And um, what we did was in the beginning, we just like told our friends, our very first party was just our friends coming over and just ordering some drinks to see if our staff could actually provide the drinks for the people. And then uh, we had a KL Fashion Week party. Uh, so after that part, after the KL Fashion Week was over for a designer, they did their after party at the bar. And I think from there, it just grew uh, bigger and bigger and we had more people come over. And um, in the time that it's been open till today, we just because we're not owned by anybody who has a lot of money and it's investing all that money into our business, we have the right as all the owners to like come up with an idea and go, shall we do this or no? Should we just try? If it doesn't work, it's fine. So we have um, uh, theme parties every month. We also have like guest chefs and guest bartenders. Uh, so one of the biggest events that we've done and it's in its third uh, round already is Berlin is Burning. Uh, basically, it's taken from the movie Paris is Burning. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've watched it, but it's a it's a good outlet for the LGBTQ community. So it's things like that that we push to 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 try to be a little bit different. We're also a bar who does events outside of the bar. Our rooftop parties are not at the bar. They're at a different place. Uh, Berlin is Burning this year was at a different place too. Right on. So we're just all about... Uh, doing new parties, new experiences uh, for people of KL who are constantly, I feel, hungry for something new to experience instead of just sitting at that bar and just listening to the DJ. So that's how we kind of market the bar in that sort of sense. And with that comes all the newspaper write-ups or the features on Time Out KL. So I think, you know, so far so good. We're doing kind of okay with the marketing bit of it. Um, most of the time we are known as one of the few bars to check out in KL if there is a list. So, so far, so good. I mean, knock on wood, like it's, it's okay so far. That's great, man. Um, would you consider yourself um, a community builder as well? Uh, for sure. With certain, I mean, with the fashion industry and with the, the LGBT sort of industry, we really, we kind of like go towards that sort of, because in fashion, there's so many, uh, there's so many people of different, different preferences so what we've done is maybe we've built ourselves a little niche in that sort of sense and um i do notice there are a lot of millennials who like to come and take photos at the bar so they like the neon lights and uh, they don't really drink much but they like to come and take photos so i think we've built ourselves a really good crowd like uh, if you go there on a friday night you will see uh, a bunch of different people from expats to locals to anybody so right. it's it's pretty cool yeah, that's something I kind of noticed about the millennials. They do a lot of photos. They don't really, they don't really do the the purchasing power a bit. No. You know what I mean? It's kind of no. interesting. What are your spending patterns like? What What do you notice? Share a little bit about how bar works. To be honest with you, completely honest with you, till today we are still trying to figure out how and when and why people come to the bar. Uh, you could go from one Monday where there's two people at the bar. To a Monday where there's like maybe 50 people at the bar. So we're still trying to be like, what? what's going on? So, uh, but the one thing that I do know is that um, Friday and Saturday, uh, we, I think what we've built ourselves up to be is a pre-party bar. So people will come over to maybe Berlin, have pre-drinks before going out to a club like uh, Elysium or Kio or some other place like that. 
So we notice on Friday and Saturday that, uh, sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we tend to have more customers and they usually come in at about maybe half nine to 10 and then they stay till about 1.30 to 2 before you can, you can actually hear people go, ah, where are we going after this? Kio is it? Kio, let's go Kio or something like that. Mm. So um, uh, to be honest with you, the, f- the most popular times are the weekends. Uh, we try happy hour, but it's like, it's a little bit weird because happy hour is, uh, is a different sort of vibe and Berlin doesn't have the happy hour vibe, but we're trying our hardest. Um, yeah, so that's basically it really. So do you find yourself appealing more to the local market or to the international market? You seemingly you're in a, you know, heavy hotspot for, uh, expat, uh, uh, not expats, tourists backpackers the backpackers we thought initially that the backpackers would come flocking to the bar uh turns out that uh because we use quality ingredients uh and quality liquor as well um i mean our garnishes are like legit garnishes uh one cocktail the cheapest one is the price of one bunk bed bed for a night for a backpacker wow so when you put it in that way even if I were to be a backpacker, I'd pick my bed over a cocktail. Right. So technically, they will go to the 7-Eleven next to us and then buy a beer and then sit outside our shop and then drink that beer. And we're like, okay, that's cool. No problem. Um, but Just for the photo. Just Oh, no. They're just sitting there to lepa. That's oh, really? it. Oh, really? Okay. So we thought the backpackers were going to come flocking to the bar, but uh, evidently not. There is a thing called flashpacker. So the flashpacker is somebody who's traveling the world, but with a higher budget. And the flashpackers are more than ready to come to the bar and they're more than ready to spend. Uh, the expats also come as well, uh, but we have uh, a more local market. Majority is local, uh, especially when you have DJs. The DJs, people who come will probably stay for the DJ that they know that is local. Right so uh, I would say like 70% local, uh, 20% is Matsale. Uh, the other 10 is like not in our age range. Like we have a target market. It's like 21 to 35, I think. Some I, Sometimes we see like a 55-year-old dude there and we're like, hey, okay, tapa, you drink. Yeah, so so yeah. that is basically what we see in the past one year or one year and a half. That's fantastic. What are the hardest things that you've ever had to go through as an entrepreneur, especially in this business? Some of the hardest things actually are the simplest things. Workers are our hardest thing to kind of uh, control. Uh, our workers are really, really good, but um, everything needs to be spoon fed. It's not like uh, I, I made like um, simple things like, you know, follow this to do this and SOPs and things like that, but never followed because perhaps it needs to be explained to them properly and then they have their differences with each other. So workers and HR is really, really difficult and you need to constantly be sure that, you know, you're making them happy even though it doesn't make you happy to make them happy. So workers is one. Um, Another one is uh, paymasters. I mean, paying on time. Uh, Sometimes when we do things for other people, uh, we expect payment. Like, you know, like, please pay us because we've already paid our own money to do this and sometimes you just never get that payment and you have to chase and chase and chase and chase until you feel kind of stupid for chasing but it's it's necessary for your business to keep going if you get this money back so people sometimes don't pay you on time um even though we try to pay people on time as well i mean i'm, sh- I'm i've 
I think we sometimes don't pick people on time either, but, you know, we, we try our best. But it's a domino effect. It's really because other people didn't pay you on time. I'm sure nobody wants to be a bad paymaster, you know what I mean? But it's hard. Like, some people just, like... To put it quite simply, buat bodo, mm. and then you have to you have to keep going at it until you get what you're supposed to get, and it's a, it's a very ruthless sort of business. And some people, if you don't if you don't pay them on time, you're not allowed to order from them anymore. So it's it's a very it's a very difficult sort of uh, situation to be in. But you know, knock on wood, everything is okay so far. Um, the third pitfall in this entire thing is um, struggling to break even. To be honest, like um, we we do well, we we are okay, but we have not reached this break even point yet because um, we don't we don't have the manpower to to grow fast. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm sure if you have a big scale, team, it's about scalability, isn't it? And yeah. we don't have this other thing called uh, economies of scale, so we can't buy in bulk to save. Yeah, you know, like we don't have that sort of that big money to roll and grow bigger. So we take our time to kind of. To, to grow bigger. So now we've opened our second little pop-up. We're hopefully moving in that direction, but it's taking us a little while and we have to be really patient uh, so that we actually hit that point where we're like, okay, we're okay now. That's awesome. Okay, so basically uh, the Berlin KL is in Pataling Street in Chinatown. And then uh, recently we had uh, like an offer uh, from one of the owners of The Row. Uh, we worked very closely with him when we did our rooftop parties. Uh, so Merdeka and New Year's Eve, we brought the party outside of Berlin uh, to the rooftop of The Row. Uh, so that people could see fireworks and it was the outside ambience. It's just funner. So um, uh, the owner of the road said that one of the other people were like moving out and he was like, would you like to try? And then we said, how about we try a pop-up first? Because pop-ups are relatively new in, in KL. Nobody really understands. Whenever I say pop-up, they're like, pop-up what? So pop-up basically means that you're there for a little while and then you go. So what we want to do with this little one is we want to pop up for a little while see how everything around us is, if there is enough uh, interest or customers. And then hopefully we want to stay. I, w I want to stay there permanently because it's a really cool little bar. It's called Bogota uh, after uh, the capital city. Colombia. Of yes. Colombia. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. You must have been watching a lot of Narcos recently. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> That's yeah, one I of the know, reasons. right? Exactly. Plata o plomo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. I love it. Cool. That's, that sounds really great. Okay, tell you what, Natalie, let's um, wrap up the session right now by um, giving by having you give uh, your top three pieces of advice to anyone who wants to open a business, uh, specifically a business like yours. Well, I, I don't really have that much experience since I've been doing this for only a year and a half. As you can tell from this interview, it's more ha 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 than, <laughs> than compared to like, you know, using these big business words. But what I want to say is that if you want to open something that has to do with a, a bar or the beverage of the F&B uh, industry, um, you just go for it. Like I think, you know, all of us were just kind of like, let's just do it. Let's just try. I think that is the most essential in any business to just try like if you don't try you don't know otherwise 10 years from now you're going to sit there and you're going to be like oh, i wish i opened a bar you know oh, i wish i opened my own clothing label if you want to do it just go ahead and do it if you fail try something else you know like all these uh big entrepreneurs like uh you know how the dude who made, did uber tried like so many times to do it um that is my biggest advice i think in life if you want to do something just do it like 
don't even think twice about it. Gather enough expertise and enough knowledge and just go nuts, especially in Malaysia, where there's so many opportunities for you to do so many different things. Um, just go crazy. That's what I say. I love it. I love it. Oh, thank you. There we go. Thank Natalie Kanis, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, yeah, hope to catch you soon at the Bogota. So for all you guys out there, um, you know, listening in, um, make sure you try catch out, uh, catch a drink at Berlin if you've never been. And uh, for those of you who have and you haven't heard of Bogota, let's all go together.